Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Jay Cost, number cruncher extraordinaire. And Jay, I thought we'd check in with you now that we've had another round of uh, primaries. We now know that uh, David Perdue, businessman, is going to be the Republican nominee in Georgia. How are the Republicans looking when it comes to taking control of the Senate in 2014? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think that they are in reasonably good shape for getting control of the Senate. I don't think that they are in excellent shape, or I, you know, I think there's room for improvement. Um, on the plus side is the fact that you have, I, I would say you have eight Senate seats controlled by Democrats that are within either solidly on the Republican side of the ledger at this point, as is the case in South Dakota, Montana, West Virginia, or within spitting distance of a toss-up race that the Democrats uh, in seats that the Democrats hold. And that's the case in Arkansas, Colorado, Iowa, North Carolina, uh, Louisiana, and Alaska. So, you know, there's uh, plenty of seats on the table for the party to go after, um, and they need six to win a majority, and I would say three are probably in the bag. You know, I think there are limitations here, or difficulties. Obviously, Georgia, the polling in Georgia is a toss-up right now, although I I don't think people really are expecting the Republicans to lose that seat. And sort of the same thing in Kentucky with Mitch McConnell is sort of in a close race, but I think most people think McConnell will pull it out, but remains to be seen. Um, you know, the other factor that's sort of cutting against Republicans at this point, I would say, is just that um, you know, if you look at the generic ballot question, which is something pollsters have been asking for really generations at this point, it basically asks if the election for Congress was held today, who would you vote for? It's a tie, which historically is very good for Republicans to be in a tie in a generic ballot because it usually favors Democrats. But at this point in 2010, it had already broken toward the Republicans uh, by the end of July. And, and I think, you know, it's hard to say why it hasn't broken yet. Maybe it will break eventually. But, you know, one can't help but wonder if it has to do with the diminished reputation that the Republican Party has relative to 2010. Certainly relative to, say, 2002, the last of uh, the other midterm where they did very well. So, you know, I mean, that's going to be the limitation here. And by the way, we're seeing that in the primaries increasingly. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that, that Purdue pulled the upset in Georgia, contrary to everybody's expectations. I mean, beat, beat uh, you know, a 20-year-old veteran, 20-year veteran of Congress. Um, and, you know, if I were Lamar Alexander in, in Tennessee or Pat Roberts in Kentucky, both of whom still have primaries left, you know, I'd really be looking over my shoulder. The Republican electorate is very unhappy with their leadership in government right now. And I don't well, know. Let, if me, let me interrupt you right there and let's try sure. to maybe pull some of these threads together. Yeah. And the one thing I would say is um, uh, that being on the ground in Georgia and watching the campaign up close, the expectation was that Jack Kingston was going to win a close race, but the polls were close the entire time, particularly trending into the weekend. But also, no one is really surprised. But there is, I think, shock or upset is a little too strong, um, because David Perdue ran a good campaign. He comes from a political family, kind of like Michelle Nunn, the you know daughter of Sam Nunn, does. He comes. His cousin is Sonny Perdue, one of the people who kind of made Georgia a Republican state. And uh, so what you had is you had a guy who ran a good campaign, who was easy to take, who, like you said, gave people the chance to not vote for the establishment, but still vote for a winner. And that's what I see going on inside the Republican primaries. I see that the, the storyline that Tea Partiers are crazy and they're looking for the next Christine, what's her name, from Delaware? Christine O'Donnell. Yeah, O'Donnell. Yeah. That's just not 
true. I think the, the voters who vote in this Tea Party-esque coalition of whoever it is are cognizant of both their values and the need to win. And I think that's why you have a relatively strong field of Republicans challenging these incumbent Democrats for the Senate. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I, I think that it's one of the ways that the Tea Party has been misunderstood is that, you know, this idea that they're crazy. Um, a lot of it has to do with the fact that when the Tea Party emerged on, a, on the scene, it was a challenge to establishment Republicans. So if you were a, a honed, sort of well-developed Republican politician with a certain level of polish, chances are you were not a Tea Partier because you'd already been on the scene. The, politician, the challengers and political candidates who came on the scene as Tea Partiers were often amateurs. Right. They didn't have experience in politics and they didn't have background in sort of, you know, how to campaign because it's a difficult process to campaign. It's not easy. Um, and I think that slowly but surely the Tea Party has found candidates who are who do have that polish and do have that professionalism. And in instances where such candidates emerge, that is when established Republican politicians really need to be worried, because when the Tea Party can find somebody who can talk in front of a camera and somebody who can talk persuasively and to articulate conservative ideas without alienating independent voters in the center, that's when there's real trouble. And I, I and look, I think we saw something like this in 2010. I mean, whatever you want to say about Marco Rubio's embrace of immigration reform, you know, he unequivocally campaigned as a Tea Partier in Florida in 2010, but he did so with a remarkable amount of professionalism and polish, and he beat, you know, the odds-on favorite in Charlie Crist who was, you know, the governor of Florida, seemingly popular, had the backing of the NRSC. Um, and that's something that I think we'll continue to see when, when insurgents, you know, are polished and professional, then they can do some real damage to the Republican establishment. But you know, Jay Koss, when it comes to November, you know, the dynamic will be different. It won't be inside Republican campaigning. It'll be out on the streets, you know, looking for swing voters, independent voters, etc. And one of the reasons why I'm pretty confident at this point that unless David Perdue blows up, unless he has some, you know, horrible campaign faux pas, he's almost certain to be the next U.S. Senator from Georgia, is because Michelle Nunn doesn't have to beat David Perdue. Michelle Nunn has to beat Harry Reid. She has to explain to voters in Georgia who don't like Harry Reid and who really don't like Barack Obama that they should send another Democrat to work with Harry Reid to carry out the agenda of Barack Obama. And I think I'm wondering how compelling that argument you think will be in 2014. And do you see it impacting other races where voters might be reluctant to vote Republican, generally speaking, but once you couch it as a vote for X is a vote for Reid and Obama, it's going to be a lot easier to get people to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to vote Republican this year. Yeah, I think that that is the, the, going to be the centerpiece of the strategy for Republicans in 2014, because overwhelmingly, you know, the Senate is, uh, there's seven seats that if the Republicans can win these seven seats, they'll win the Senate, and these seven seats are all in states that Mitt Romney won. So even in 2012, when Obama's job approval was basically 50-50, these states didn't like Obama. Now that his job approval is like 40-50, you know, it's gotten even worse. Uh, and that's going to be I, that's what Mitch McConnell's going to do in Kentucky, and that's what um, you know Purdue's going to do in Georgia, and it's what Tom Cotton's going to do in Arkansas, um, and right on down the line. And this is going to be the suggestion. I think you're going to see it again and again and again in these Republican-leaning states. Is that Barack Obama has to be stopped, and that the the Democratic nominee 
is not capable of stopping them, and that the only the only alternative, if you want to put a stop to the Obama agenda, is the Republican Party, even if you don't like them. Yeah, I agree, and, and way, I think I think that's going to be the the story in Colorado and Iowa as well. Both of which, you know, Democrats like to talk about these states as blue states, but they were extremely close in 2012, Colorado more so than Iowa. But, you know, the polling that I've seen from those states indicates that Obama's unpopular as well. So that's going to be a winning strategy there. Okay, Jay Costin, what about the real outliers, the real, uh, you know, uh, cherry on the top, which would be either Michigan or Oregon? Right. Well, I just have a lot of, I, I you know, I think Oregon is just, a, a, you know, is is just not going to happen for Republicans. I, I just I have a hard time seeing it. I mean, you never know, but it's I I just don't think that in either of those states, I think the Republicans' reputational problems are going to be more severe. Um, you know, what I'm more interested in is keeping an eye on New Hampshire and Virginia, where you have Democrats who are popular incumbent Democrats in states that are really sort of on the knife's edge, really the true purple states, New Hampshire and Virginia are among the true, truest of purple states. Um, and you're going to have well-funded Republican challengers who are going to make the same argument. It'll be interesting to see whether or not they can tag um, you know, Mark Warner in Virginia and Gene Shaheen in New Hampshire to Obama, because of course their voting records are straight in line with Obama, just like the voting record of Mary Landrieu in Louisiana or Mark Pryor in Arkansas. One of the differences is that these candidates, these candidates seem to have, these Democratic incumbents have a greater popular connection to the electorate. That, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether or not the millions of dollars that Ed Gillespie and Scott Brown are raising, if that's going to move the needle in those states. That's what I'm more interested in that than in Oregon. One last question. Uh, you keep mentioning the reputational issue, and I happen to agree. I mean, I think the fundamental challenge for the Republican Party isn't demographics, as people love to talk about, whatever. It is that the Republican brand is so battered, and which is what you'd expect when the media, both the popular media and the news media, trash it all the time. And then when you have people who will just be polite about it are problematic, that <laughs> will represent the Republican Party. Can Republicans use this election to help change that reputation, or are they simply going to say, we're just going to win the Senate, we're just going to do whatever it takes, we'll run any kind of campaign to win, and we'll worry about the reputation later? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I think that one of the problems that Republicans have is that they've become, you know, in the about 40 or so years after the, after the end of World War II, the Republicans were conventionally known as the presidential party, where they would dominate the presidency but tend to lose Congress. Now, you know, one wonders if maybe that's become inverted. You know, in the last 20 years, the Republicans have dominated the House but can't, you know, can't quite make it happen in the presidency. And I think one of the problems that they've developed, the party has developed, is that Congress as an institution is a dysfunctional institution. Um, and so the Republicans are now identified with that institutional dysfunction. And I just don't know if they're, they have the wherewithal to overcome it, especially because you know so many of the reform ideas that the party put in place when it, it swept into power in 94, so many ideas they succeeded in implementing, but then they were just undone. I mean, that's what happened with farm subsidies. That happened with Medicare reform. You know, they promised to cut the pork and cut the wasteful spending, but they increased it. I mean, this is just what happens in Congress. Congress is an, an institution that's in desperate need of reform, and I, absent 
recent sort of structural uh, structural revolution in the way Congress does business, I'm just very skeptical that the party's going to be able to overcome it. And so any kind of reform stuff that it, it would manage to do. Like, for instance, in 2013, they put a moratorium in on earmarks. I expect at some point in the next decade that's going to be lifted sure. just because but, the institutional demands are so great. But that's why I think winning in 2016 is so important to have a president who can help rebrand the party. Right. And yeah. to me, and temper Congress, because I think that was one of the key failings of the George W. Bush administration. I know it's sort of easy to criticize the Bush administration in many respects. I think it's gotten a bad rap. But one area where I think it didn't meet uh, the standards that you'd like to see is sort of tempering the excessive nature of, of the Congress. And too often the Bush administration basically let Congress uh, behave irresponsibly to the detriment of the party's reputation. I think look, moving forward, when I'm evaluating presidential candidates to see who I'm going to support, I'm going to be really interested to see if any of them you know, seem like the kind of guy who can stand up to people in his own party in Congress for the good of the entire party nationwide. Which brings us to the final, final question. Will the Republicans take control of the Senate in 2014, Jay Cost? I would say at this point, yes. I think that, you know, um, if you look at Obama's job approval, it's very poor. The candidates the Republicans have recruited in, I would say, um, maybe upwards of a dozen states, they've got, you know, good candidates. And, you know, the head-to-head polling in most of the states looks pretty good. So I would say at this point, yes. Jay Cost, thanks so much for joining us for this Weekly Standard podcast. Please be, please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.